Welcome to We Are Free. I am your host, Becky Morquecho, and you're listening to episode 31. This is a podcast about letting go of what we think our lives should look like and the sweet freedom God has for us on the other side of surrender. My guest today is your Enneagram coach, Beth McCord. Beth is an Enneagram author, speaker, and coach, and the founder and lead content creator of Your Enneagram Coach, a community designed to be a safe place for individuals to explore the Enneagram. With years of experience and a passion for coming alongside individuals, couples, and groups, Beth is leading the way in simplifying the deep truths of the Enneagram from a biblical perspective. Her mission is to make personal awareness and growth accessible for everyone, anywhere, so they can experience health and transformation in every area of their lives. Welcome, Beth. I am excited to have you here today. That's probably an understatement. I've really been looking forward to this. (laughs) Yeah, thanks. I'm so excited to be here with you. Yeah. And recently, was it this week or last, you and Jeff just launched a podcast as well? This week, yeah. So just, gosh, a couple days ago on Tuesday. We got to update the bio. Yeah, it is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we got to update the bio. (laughs) Got to add that to it. I I haven't thought about that. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. Yeah, it's been great. It's it. We've had a really good response um, so far, and I, I think it's going to be really helpful for people because, especially you know, in this season of life, people are trying to understand, you know, especially being quarantined together. Why are they the way they are? Why am I the way I am? You know, and trying to have better relationships with others, um, whether together at home mm-hmm. or afar, because we're disconnected. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's going to be really helpful for people. Yeah, I I know it is. Uh, So friends listening, after today's episode with Beth, well, during this episode, you're going to get a glimpse of her wisdom. But if you want more of that and you're into the Enneagram as much as I am, go over. Their podcast is called Your Enneagram Coach and subscribe and you'll get all Enneagram all day long with them. Yeah, (laughs) it's so true. Yeah, and we pre-populated. So there's episode one, kind of tells you about us as your Enneagram coach and how we even got to this place. Um, but we also pre-populated it with some bonus episodes on the basics. So basics of the Enneagram and then episodes on all nine types. So if you're a newbie or you just want to kind of dive deeper, those are some great ones to just start out with. That's perfect. Um, because we're going to kind of cruise through some of that today because I have a gazillion (laughs) questions for you. So go back to their podcast and, get a refresher or learn a little bit more about it. But um, Beth, like I said, I have probably a gazillion questions for you. (laughs) So we're going to jump right in. Um, Can you give us just a quick overview of how you came to know, love, study the Enneagram and why the Enneagram instead of something else? Yeah. So um, for me, you know, Jeff and I got married um, almost 25 years ago um, when we were at the age of 20. I mean, Jeff just turned 20. Um, we were so young that we had Dr. Pepper as our toast at our wedding <laughs> versus like champagne or wine or something. Um, and so we really, and we're still like best friends. Um, but what was before the wedding and what was after the wedding was perplexing. Like, why are we stumbling over each other now? Like it was so amazing before and we still loved each other. We just couldn't understand why we had all this turbulence. Um, well, I didn't know myself at 20, 21, 22, and he didn't really understand himself very well. And then you put those two together and it's like, you know, it's the a perfect storm. It, yeah. It's um, like playing the game twister where you're just, you know, stumbling over each other. But yet we really passionately wanted to love each other well. Um, 
And so fast forward about five years into marriage, we already had two kiddos, one at three years old, Nate and Libby. Um, and Jeff was at full-time in seminary, part-time working in ministry on a college campus. We were dirt poor living on the seminary campus um, and still loving each other, but still struggling. And I'm a type nine and type nines, the peaceful mediators don't know themselves very well because we merge with others to keep the peace. And we don't know that we're doing it. Just like all of us don't know why we do what we do until we start learning about it. Um, And I didn't realize that was a wrong thing or a bad thing sometimes. I mean, you know, sometimes it's a great to be accommodating, flexible. But when you do it so much that you lose yourself in the midst of, you know, accommodating everyone else to keep the peace, that's not healthy. And so, but I didn't know that. And so... I just didn't know myself very well. And we kept having all these problems until some friends of ours who were also seeking help were introduced to the Enneagram and they introduced it to us. Now, Jeff kind of skimmed through the book that we were given um, and he thought it was pretty interesting, but you know, he had all his other stuff going on. And so I started to look at it and I'm really not much of a reader because I grew up with a reading disability. So I'm real slow. So whatever I pick, I'm going to like, you know, if it's important, I'm going to like devour it. Yeah. So I did. And it was for some reason, I just got it. I understood it. The Enneagram is a very com- complex and complicated system. And for some reason, it just made sense to me. But especially when I got to the type nine, it was so freeing. Like there are other people out there like me that struggle in the same way. And in the nines, it's almost like we have this internal fog. Um, and we, it's hard to see ourselves. And so we actually look through other people's eyes back at ourselves mm-hmm. to understand ourselves. And that's actually not a good way of doing it because, you know, people are seeing us from their perspective, not the, maybe the true perspective. And so there's this fog that's going on. And I felt like the Enneagram was kind of like, you know, a cloth that was wiping that fog off a mirror. You know, it's still not perfect. You're still not seeing everything, but it's so much better. Um, and so that really started to help me to explain to Jeff what was going on in my world to the best ability that I could at the moment. And then he started to understand me better. And this over the years helped us to have a better relationship. Now, that doesn't mean there are not problems. There's still problems even today. And in fact, Jeff and I have a weekly ongoing counseling appointment because inevitably we know, especially having this kind of business that we're constantly on the go, lots of things happening. We need that check-in point, you know, we see the world through our own lens. We react to it through our own lens. And so we just need that that touch-in point to help navigate um, our world with some outside help. And But the Enneagram has given us that clarity and that understanding to then understand ourselves personally, but also have compassion and understanding for the other person. It's almost like taking off our glasses for a second and putting on someone else's glasses and seeing the world through their lens and going, Oh my gosh, I did not, um, didn't know that you struggled this way. I didn't know that this is what you were thinking or feeling. And so then we can move towards one another with this compassion and empathy and grace and mercy, forgiveness and love in ways that we never thought possible because we literally think everyone has seen the world the way we do. Right. And so when they don't react or do it the way we do it, we're hurt, we're frustrated, we're angry, we're irritated, whatever you want to call it. And now we can go, hold on a second. Maybe, just maybe, they're not seeing it and reacting to it the way I am. And there are probably reasons for that. And so just that pause and asking clarifying questions or us clarifying for the other person ahead of time allows us to have that moment of, like kind of a peaceful rest between that 
and then overreacting or getting hurt or getting in a fight. And so that's really how the Enneagram has been so helpful for us. And I know some of the people out there that are new to the Enneagram, they're probably going, that sounds really great and cool, but what are we even talking about? Yeah. That, I mean, that was a long time ago that you first got into yeah. it. And now like over the last couple of years, it's like become this huge thing. Everybody's excited and crazy about the Enneagram, including myself. How, why do you think that's happening now? I'm just curious. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, so the Enneagram, when it came to the United States, kind of in the early seventies, it really stayed with a very close knit group. Um, there is a teacher, um, Naranjo, who's taught at uh, university of California in Berkeley. And he had this, um, these students and the Enneagram is a very complex system. And, you know, there's, there's so much, um, integrity to it that you don't want to just use it. Like it's kind of like a really fine, sharp knife, you know, like a scalpel. You don't just go around using it however you want. Yeah. And so you want to make sure that whoever is using it uses it well. And so they really kind of kept it close. Okay. And those people took it deeper and deeper and deeper. They started writing books, but it still stayed pretty tight. And the other thing is, the reason why I think it really then just became a big deal in the Christian sphere is when Ian Cron wrote the book, The Road Back to You, Ian and, and Suzanne Stabile wrote the book, um, The Road Back to You, what happened is instead of it being kind of um, loose out there, maybe new age, mysticism, because however your worldview is, you can shape the Enneagram because it's just a tool. Right. And I think for a lot of believers, it was kind of like, well, I don't understand what they're saying because it's not the way I see the world. It's not the vocabulary I use. And so when Ian and Suzanne wrote that book, they niched it into the Christian sphere enough for people to go, oh, this totally makes sense. And I can see it through my own life and how this would be helpful. Yeah. And then it started to skyrocket from there. And what yeah. was interesting is I met Ian right before his launch. Uh, one of his best friends was my boss at the time, Michael Hyatt. Um, and so it was really exciting because I had already spent about eight months starting my own business, my own coaching business. And so when that book launched, it was kind of like someone, well, you're in San Diego, so you would understand this. It's kind of like I'm out there on my surfboard waiting for the wave. And all of a sudden this huge wave comes. Yes. It's like, holy cow, like, let's go. Let's ride and this. So, <laughs> let's ride this. And so that's what we've really been doing. So I really appreciate Ian and Suzanne's book and how they've kind of opened it up to people. It's very um, easy to read. It's understandable. It's relatable. Um, it's a fun read. And so I think that's really kind of what launched it into yeah. more of the Christian sphere. So what does the Enneagram have to do with Christianity? Where does Jesus, how, how do these yeah. two worlds come together? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, for instance, like gravity. Gravity is true because of how God created the world. Um, so these elements, these these truths of how our personalities function are true in and of themselves. Now, again, whatever worldview you have and you teach it from that worldview, it's going to kind of alter how people hear it. But the truth is we have core motivations of why we think, feel, and behave in particular ways and why we react to the world the way we do. And that's really what the Enneagram is getting to is the core motivations of why you think, feel, and behave. Mm -hmm. And the reason why it's so beneficial in our Christian sphere is God cares about our heart's intention, not the outward manifestation. Because as you know, and I know, I could look really awesome and <laughs> super kind, but really I could be 
my heart could be in a totally wrong place. So God cares about the heart. And this is exactly what that's all about is your heart intention. Are you healthy, average or unhealthy? And what we did at your Enneagram coaches, we brought it into Christian language. So are you aligned, misaligned or out of alignment with the truth of the gospel? Yeah. And it's not to shame, condemn. And actually I'll tell you our mission statement at your Enneagram coach is for people to understand themselves with astonishing clarity so that they can break free from self-condemnation, fear, and shame by knowing and experiencing the unconditional love, forgiveness, and freedom in Christ. Now, nowhere in our mission statement is the word Enneagram because the Enneagram, though it is an amazing tool, it isn't what transforms us. What transforms us is the gospel. Now, think of the Enneagram as kind of like an x-ray. It's going to illuminate and highlight what isn't broken and what is broken, but an x-ray cannot heal a person. And that's where we bring the gospel perspective. So we want people to understand their hearts, motivations, intentions. Are they, you know, aligned, misaligned, or out of alignment, the truth of the gospel? Again, not to shame, right. not to have condemnation. And and actuality is the reverse, to point to the real source of freedom and forgiveness and love and transformation, which is Christ. And so that's how we use it. Now, of course, if you go out there and you read a bunch of books, not probably no other teachers except for some of my students that are kind of coming up in the in the ranks um, are really teaching it from this perspective but we're excited that it's it's kind of taking its own um, getting its own feet and traction and other people are enjoying it and hopefully they will produce their own stuff in this way as well yeah I love it I mean I mean it makes sense to me because um I mean as a Christian we have to look at the Lord for everything, like to fulfill yeah. everything. So whatever yeah. tool you're using, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like that's not going to be the fix in the end. Yes. Um, yeah. No, I love that. Can you give us a quick rundown just so we have some reference for the rest of the conversation for people who yeah. aren't as familiar, uh, just a quick rundown of the types. Um, yeah. And actually maybe as you do this, um, is there a characteristic of, uh, of the types that is not necessarily like on Instagram, like you see the same words mm. describing and everything. So I'm curious, like as you give us the kind of the traditional maybe definition or description of each type, is there something that's not as common, but definitely still notable of the types as well? Okay. Yeah. I'll try to see if I can. Yeah. Can if you can, if you think that, of it. Pull that up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, So when people think of the Enneagram, think of it as your internal GPS. You have your current location, and so that's your main Enneagram type. But we use all nine types to varying degrees. And this can be hard for some people to land on their type because they're like, well, I kind of feel like I'm this, this, and this. And I'm like, that's totally fine. But you want to find your main Enneagram type because that's your current location. And just like if I were to drive from Nashville to San Diego, where you are, which would be a very long trip, but if I was... (laughs) I need to know my current location on my GPS, right? I can't just say I'm from Chicago. Like that would not get me to San Diego from Nashville. So you need to know your current location, the one that you're using the most. And the way to do that is to look at the core motivations. The core motivations are the core fear, what you're always running away from or trying to prevent. Now, if I were just to say, okay, what is that for you? No one's going to Typically, if they don't know the Enneagram, they're not going to go, oh, well, it's this. That's why the Enneagram, you kind of want to read it and study it a little bit to see these things come to fruition within yourself. 
So you have a core fear, a core desire. We are always trying to obtain. You have a core weakness. It's also called the passion or the deadly sin. But this core weakness is your Achilles heel, the thorn in your side, what's tripping you up all the time. And it constantly reminds us that we need Jesus every single second of every single day. Um, And then we have a core longing. This is the message our heart longs to hear from people, the world, but they can never satisfy it. Even though they try, some of them try, and even though we keep trying to get it, only Christ can satisfy it, and He did. And that's where real transformation is set forth. So, we're not going to go through all the core motivations, but the reason why I say this, and you could put it in your show notes, is if people go to yourenneagramcoach.com, first and foremost, there's a free test there in the upper right-hand corner that they can take. But even when you do see your scores, we want you to look at the core motivations of all the types, but especially those top couple uh, types and really decipher, is this true? Because the the Enneagram test is not to definitely say this is your type. It's to guide you. So then what you'll want to do is go to yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash core motivations. And that's where you can download a free PDF of these core motivations for all nine types. And again, we won't go through all of them today because that would take us quite a while. (laughs) Um, and so I'll go through the the types in a general sense, but that will be a really helpful tool for people to go to. Okay, cool. Okay. So type one, and you're familiar with the type mm-hmm. one, is the moral perfectionist. And they really fear being bad, evil, corruptible, and wrong. They want balance, integrity to be good, virtuous, and right. Um, where they're going to struggle the most is the sense of resentment. Because the ones have a loud inner critic that's telling them, all the imperfections around them, they're not looking for it. This this inner critic just leaps out at them and assaults them with it. And they're just trying to have themselves and everyone do what's perfect. So this inner critic will quiet down. Um, and they feel like they're the only mature adults that are kind of getting things done. <laughs> and so it kind of feels resentful. Um, it's true. It's funny. So, I say to my husband, I said, one of like the best things Jesse can do for me, because I naturally take responsibility for everything is like for him to take responsibility for something yeah. without me asking for it, because it's like such right. a relief. Cause that's what I'm yeah. doing all day long is like taking responsibility for things. Even when I, but what's, what's hard is for, I'm sure for you uh-huh. is see the inner critic sees it all and it assaults you with it all. I love that word. But for it's him, true. But for him, no matter what type he is, he doesn't have that same inner critic that is seeing it all. And so you would be frustrated, like, how can you not see this? Yeah. Like, And he definitely doesn't so have it because he's a seven. So he does not have that right. inner critic. Yeah. Exactly. And so for that's where the resentment or the frustration for the one rises up because it really, you're like, how can you not know this? Or how can you not see this? Well, he just doesn't have that inner critic. So that's where we can start to take those glasses off and go, oh, okay. So you don't see the world in the same way, though it's frustrating because I wish that you would take up this responsibility or see all the things that need to be done. I can now have more compassion because you just don't see it the same way. And so that's just really kind of helpful. Um, Okay. So the type two is a supportive advisor and they fear being rejected, not needed, unwanted, not valued um, for the things that they do for others. They want to be wanted, loved, and appreciated. And for them, they struggle with pride. And this pride comes from, they really know other people's needs and emotions. And so they confidently insert their help 
And they're really hoping someone will be like, oh my gosh, you're so amazing. You're so wonderful. Thank (laughs) you so much. Because to them, that feels like love. They don't internally feel like there's unconditional love. They have to do and help others in some form or fashion in order to get that love back. Um, And so that can be really challenging for for the two. Um, The type three is a successful achiever. They fear not being successful, to be a failure, to be incompetent, inefficient, um, exposed. They want to be seen as admirable, have high status and high regard, to be seen as valuable and worthwhile for the things that they do and accomplish. And so for them, they struggle with deceit. And deceit is where they deceive themselves into believing they're only the image that they present to others. And so for them, it's all about, I must accomplish, I must do and obtain an admirable image. If I don't, I won't be valued and loved. Yeah. The type four is the romantic individualist and they fear being mundane, plain, boring, um, just like everybody else. They desire to be different, special, unique, to be their most authentic self. But they struggle with the core weakness of envy. And this is because they feel like there's something defective and flawed inside them. And that when they look at everyone else, everyone else has the things and possess everything that they are lacking in. And so it makes them envious. It's almost kind of like, you know, when you do a puzzle and there's that missing piece Mm -hmm. in the middle and you're like, oh man, come on, really? That's how they feel about themselves. But everyone else has these perfect puzzles. And so they become envious and they really just desire to know that they are seen and loved for exactly who they are, special and unique. Mm -hmm. The type fives are the investigative thinker, and they uh, fear being incapable, incompetent, not knowledgeable, insightful, and that's really what they're wanting. But they also really fear being completely depleted internally of their internal resources. Um, So for them, it's kind of like a cell phone battery that has only 20 to 25% interactive battery life with others. And so they need a lot of alone time Mm -hmm. to process their thoughts and their feelings. Whereas everyone else is like, come on, you know, be out with the world more. What others don't realize is they get depleted very quickly and they need to pull back. So it's not necessarily that they don't want to be with others. They need more time to recharge. Yeah. The type six is the loyal guardian and they fear being without support, guidance and security to be targeted, blamed. They desire to be supported, guided and have security. And what they're going to struggle with is anxiety. And this is really an Whereas for you as a type one, you have that inner critic, the type six has an inner committee and they're constantly thinking of all the things that could go wrong or negative outcomes and they're trying to prevent it. But that inner committee comes from all different directions. So it causes chaos and confusion internally. So they look outside themselves for a trusted belief system person to guide them. Now, your husband is the type, (laughs) my husband's the type six. Your husband's the type seven. They're the entertaining optimist, and they fear being trapped in emotional pain, bored, limited, and definitely missing out on something fun. And they uh, want to be fully satisfied and content. So they struggle with gluttony. And it's not just about food. It's an insatiable desire to fill themselves up with excitement and stimulation in life. And so they'll go from thing to thing to thing to fill up this kind of empty chasm inside but what happens is it's kind of like a bucket with holes the more they do and they're just focusing on the next thing and the next thing the more it slips through at the bottom and they don't feel satisfied and content the more that they can be more still and at rest and see what they have in front of them the more they're going to actually feel full and satisfied and content yeah um 
And then the type eights are the protective challengers. They fear being harmed, controlled, and left at the mercy of injustice. They desire to protect themselves and those that are in their like small inner circle. Now, they struggle with lust or excess. And this is where they're going to push themselves willfully to get what they desire. Now, I call them snowplows because they're really like those big diesel snowplows in the north, which you in San Diego and I'm us from here Wisconsin even in though. From Wisconsin, oh, so you do I know. have, I have, yeah, I know the reference. <laughs> totally know. Yes. So the big diesel snowplows, um, and we need them to plow a path for us when there's a foot of snow, but we need to have them have us behind them. And that's when they're really healthy. When they're at a place that maybe they're not as healthy or as aware, they could nick people on the side of the roads. And then sometimes if they're really unhealthy, they can plow over people. Mm -hmm. Um, But the healthiest eights, like a a Martin Luther King Jr., are absolutely phenomenal because they will plow a path for others. And then last but not least is my type, the peaceful mediator. Um, We are trying to avoid at all costs any kind of tension conflict of any kind we just want to get along to go along or go along to get along (laughs) Um, (laughs) and we just want inner stability and peace of mind but we struggle with sloth and that's really an internal not knowing of ourselves a slothfulness internally and so we just merge with other people's desires wants um, abilities uh, desires so that hopefully that will create peace but then we forget ourselves so Thank you. Those are the nine types. So good. So you talked about core fear, core desire, core weakness, and core longing. And I know all of those things are vital to all of this. If you like had to think of one of those things that would like rise to the top as far as like people could really take note of or focus on, I know they're all important. Um, Is there one of those things that is like sticks out in your mind? Well, the one I didn't mention was the core longing. Okay. And that's the one I would probably say is the the best. Um, so I'll go through those really quick. Um, and, and as you do that, I'm curious yeah. because, um, again, like this is, it's just a tool and like Jesus and the Lord and God, that is what really fulfills and heals. Yes. Like, can you talk to us um, as you talk about the core longing, how the gospel yes. fulfills each of those longings um, for each mm-hmm. type? Yes. So how we usually do it is we show how Jeremiah 2.13 really shows and highlights this whole scenario that I'm going to talk about. In Jeremiah 2.13, it talks about how we have forsaken God, the spring of living water. And think of the spring right next to you on the left-hand side of, of where you're sitting or standing or wherever you are. And so you've forsaken. So you've turned, okay, and you start to dig a cistern. So you've forsaken the spring of living water and you've turned and dug cisterns, cisterns that cannot hold water and are broken. So the cisterns are anything in our life that we think can fulfill us. And a cistern is like a well, but it's not with fresh water. You have to actually put water into it. And think about, you know, a well that you put mortar around. You've taken a lot of time to dig this and to make it work. So for instance, let's say marriage or friendship or your career is that. Well, like for instance, with me and my husband, I want him to say my core longing, which we'll get to in a second. Mm -hmm. And that's a good desire. There's nothing wrong with that desire. But when that desire becomes a demand, and that de- that demand becomes judgment, and that judgment becomes punishment. That's where idols really are shown. Yeah. And again, God cares about our heart. So the desire isn't wrong. It's what we do with that desire. Do we go back to Christ who will satisfy at the spring of living water, or do we demand it from others to fill it up? But even if my husband, well, you know, let's say he came with a bottle of water, 
and he tries to pour that in. Well, I mean, it's kind of like, oh, well, thanks, a little refreshment. But <laughs> then it's like, eh, it's not that much. And so then we get upset, right? I need more, I need more. But even if he brought a hose, it's still not enough because that cistern's broken. He was never designed, careers were never designed, children, whatever you want to put in, shopping, you name it, mm-hmm. was never designed to satisfy us completely. Um, they're appetizers. And so the more we try to demand others to come through for us, the more we will be unsatisfied and upset. So we need to turn back to the spring of living water and you can drink as much as your heart desires. And when you do and you're totally satisfied, then when you turn to the people or the career and they give you even a thimble of water, you'll be like, that's amazing. Thank you so much because you are satiated. You are full because you've had as much as you wanted from the spring. So- so good. That's really I love that. That's a, this, such a great picture. Yeah. So so the core longing is something that each of us have. And and all of us are going to have a little bit of all of these. But the one that is yours is going to be like, oh, yes. Like, I am so thirsty for that. And then I'm going to, you know, I'll go through the core uh, longing and immediately talk about the, how Christ satisfies. Perfect. Okay. So type ones want to hear that you are good. Now, the ones are always say, yes, that's so true. I like do all these things because I want to know that I'm good. And, but they also will say, but Beth, I'm not good. And I'm like, I know you're not, neither are any of us. But here's the good news that Christ was perfect on your behalf. Not only did he remove your sins when he was on the cross, he lived a perfect life. And when he died, he put on you his perfect righteousness. So no longer is it about you becoming perfect. It is about you resting and surrendering in his perfect righteousness. So when God looks at you, he is not seeing your imperfections that has been taken care of by Christ. He's seen his son's righteousness on you. So then your heart can rest on a daily, hourly, every second and go, praise be to God that while I'm still imperfect, he sees me as righteous because of Christ. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes. Does that land on you right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and does. so that's the master key to unlock transformation mm-hmm. because really what we're desiring is this message and it's been completed. So type twos long to hear you are wanted and loved. And Christ not only wanted you, he pursued you. He left his throne to come to live a hard life perfectly, to die and to rise again, all to pursue you, type twos, to bring you to himself because he wants you and loves you unconditionally. It's not because you've done anything. In fact, what we've contributed is sin. So we have added nothing of value, ultimate value mm-hmm. in the sense because even our good deeds are like filthy rags. He pursued us in spite of that because he loved us. Type threes want to hear, long to hear, you are love for simply being you. You don't have to accomplish. See, Christ was our perfect accomplishment. Everything that needed to be accomplished to have the status we long for and to be valued was taken care of by Christ. And he gave that accomplishment to us. We are the heirs. So threes can actually rest in Christ's accomplishment. No longer do they have to be the most successful, the most admirable to be loved. They're already loved for exactly who they are. Now, the fours, they long to hear you are loved for for exactly who you are. You are loved and seen for exactly who you are, special and unique. And the greatest thing is, because remember the puzzle, they feel defective and flawed. But the cool thing is, is that 
God does not make mistakes when he creates things. When he creates things, it is good. And he created you different and special for a purpose. And he did not make a mistake. But above that, he understands fours deeply. Fours feel very misunderstood. But this is God. God understands them better than they understand themselves, which is the same a lot because fours know themselves really well. And God sees them for exactly who they are and loves them. And no mistake was made. Now, yes, we're we're flawed, all of us, because of sin, but in the creation of how he created you wasn't flawed. Right. Now, the type five, they long to hear that uh, your needs are not a problem. For the fives, they feel like needs, their needs are like these huge boulders that are hard for them, let alone, why would I hand this off to you? That seems just unthinkable. So they try to minimize their needs and hoard their internal resources so they don't have to ask anyone. They can take care of it themselves. But we're talking about the God of the universe. <laughs> he created the galaxies and the stars all the way down to the little atoms. Like our needs are literally not a problem. In fact, they're not a problem so much that Christ came specifically to rescue you and to help you because you couldn't help yourself. And it was a joy and delight to him. I mean, a joy in the sense, <laughs> I mean, obviously dying on a cross and being beaten wasn't that, I mean, but it's a joy that he did it and he accomplished it because he wants you with him. Um, and type six is long to hear you are safe and secure. And especially in this era with COVID-19, mm -hmm. it's like, but we're not safe and secure. And it's like, no, but we are because he is the God of the universe. He's all knowing, all powerful. Do we understand all that's happening? No. But if we look back in time and see history, we can see how God has everything unfold for good purposes. Though it's scary and it's uncertain, we know that he has a purpose and a reason. And in his hands, we are safe and secure. So because Christ have a, has accomplished all things, even though we don't know from day to day what's exactly gonna happen, we know he will guide us through his spirit and we are safe and secure in him eternally. The type seven, your husband, is they long to hear you will be taken care of. And a lot of sevens will say, what does that even mean? I don't even know. What that, I don't even understand that. Well, okay. Well, here's what it means. When they were little kids, just like all of us, we're like, can we go to Chuck E. Cheese? Can we go to a movie? Can we go to Dairy Queen? And it's like on and on and on, right? Like this never ending, can we, can we? And even if our parents or their parents said, yes, 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 at some point they have to say, no, like we've got to stop. We got to go home, take a shower, do our chores. And it's like the seven's like, oh my gosh, no, kill me now. <laughs> um, and, but they feel like their needs weren't met because remember that empty bucket? Even if the parents did the Chuck E. Cheese and the movie and the this and the that, it's all slipping out at the bottom. And so they feel like, but I'm still starving. Why aren't you taking care of me? Even if the others in the world are trying their best. But here's the thing. The more the sevens are in the present moment, seeing what's right around them because their mind's always wanting to race to the next thing. If they are there in the present moment and they're savoring the blessings that they have been given, those holes will start to plug up and they'll start to feel satisfaction because they'll see that they are being taken care of by Christ. The eights long to hear that you will not be betrayed. And here's the greatest news for them. Christ understands exactly what you're feeling because he was the most betrayed. Mm -hmm. Think about the Last Supper. Here he is at he, what he knows is his Last Supper. He is washing their feet. He knows all of them are either going to betray or abandon him. And he is willing to be vulnerable and to come alongside them and show 
absolute love and care. And I'm like, man, I, you know, if we knew that was going to happen to us, would we do that? Mm -hmm. I'd be like, come on, really? Mm -hmm. So we know that Christ is there for us. He will not leave us, forsake us, or betray us. So AIDS can confidently rest in his absolute protection and care because he has their back. And then me as a type nine, we long to hear your presence matters. The mind of the nine thinks my presence, my voice, I'm not that important. It doesn't matter. And that's absolutely false. I mean, so much so that when God of the universe became a man, left his throne to live this brutal life so hard, to be beaten, to be betrayed, to die, to rise again, all to bring you to him. I mean, what better way to say you matter than that? And there's no other way. And so when nines think about it, wow, the God of the universe pursued me because I matter so much to him. Not because I'm this big thing. It's because I'm loved and I'm cherished and that he is there to show me that I have something to offer the world, that I need to move into the world. I need to voice myself, find my talents, my calling. And that is for all of us, all of these core longings and how Christ satisfies are the master key that unlocks transformation. Because once we not only see what we long for, but that it has been completed. Right. We can rest in his arms like a sheep does to his shepherd and know I am safe and secure. I do not have to try harder. I need to surrender and depend on him and he will carry me through. Yeah, so good. Thank you for walking us through that. Yeah. Beth, um, we, my husband and I uh, and our church life group read your book and I want to get into that in a second. But one of the things, one of the questions that as a group, a couple of us had as a whole that came up um, that we kind of went in circles around that I would love for you to chat about a little bit is like, how do our childhood experiences and how do those things, just our life experiences affect or come into play like with our type? Does it mold yeah. us into that type? Um, does, can that change over time? What does that look like? Sure. Yeah. No, I think that's a great question. And I will say some teachers have different opinions. Yeah. I would say majority of them believe you're born your type. And that's what I believe. Okay. Right? You're born your type. Okay. So think about all the babies out there are born with some kind of lens on, right? Like, so I was born with you know, sunglasses that are purple lens. You were born with blue lens, my hu my husband orange, your husband red. And so if all these babies are seeing the world through their lens, and as they grow up, they're seeing it and experiencing it through these lens, it's, it's different. So if you have, let's say, nine children, and they're all going through, let's say like COVID-19, you know, a traumatic experience for a long period of time, each of them are seeing it perceiving it, interpreting it, and reacting to it differently. And so that's really important because a lot of people think, oh, well, I'm this type because this thing happened. Yeah, that's and, right. Like maybe like a traumatic experience or right. you, so your stance is that that thing didn't necessarily change their type. Exactly. Okay. They saw it through their type's lens. Okay. And they interpreted it, perceived it. And then depending on their family life status, like do they have healthy parents that are helping them? Do they have parents that are neglectful and aren't there? Do they have parents that love them, but they're permissive and passive? You know, there's so many different variations of that. And that's really what kind of shapes and molds how healthy or 
average or unhealthy that child is and how they grow through it. So if you have a if you have a family that's very emotionally intelligent and mm-hmm. they go through COVID-19 and the family is talking about it and you're able to express yourself and your parents are able to walk you through what this means for you and how you uniquely see it, not your siblings, you're going to have a lot of tools in your tool chest to pull from. You're going to feel heard, understood, cared for, and loved. If you grow up in a family that goes through a traumatic experience and your parents are like, oh, come on, like just get over it, or this isn't a big deal, or whatever, or they ignore you, um, you don't don't have those tools Mm -hmm. to, to go through. And so as you get older, you're growing up with less tools. That doesn't mean you can't gain them. Like, uh, Jeff and I are a great example. I had a family that was much more in tuned and, and available for me. He had parents who loved him dearly, but because of how they grew up, they didn't have the tools and the resources to pass on to him. Now, as, since about age 18, he was he's always been this ferocious learner mm-hmm. and gaining tools for himself. And that has allowed him to become a much healthier person. But if we don't try to gain those tools, we're going to live out the perspective and the hardwiring our type has in a false way Okay. versus seeing. So for instance, the mind of the nine says from a, it's, we call it the interpreted childhood message. Again, this can be either said to you directly or how you interpret what's being done and said around you is don't assert yourself. That's the mind of a nine. And so when you wonder, why don't nines just get out there and do stuff? Because what's floating in our head constantly is, don't assert yourself because remember, your presence doesn't matter. Your voice doesn't matter. And it's so hard to jump that hurdle because it feels so real. But that's where no matter if you had parents that helped you with that or didn't, it's our job as adults to learn what those messages are that are are hardwired, again, whether said or perceived, and for us to grow in what God says about us, what is true. So I need to grow and say, no, I need to assert myself as a nine in the calling God has given me. And move forward in faith and in trust. And that's kind of my whole story with your Enneagram coach, because everything in me wants to like, not hide completely, because I do like, you know, I'm very, I'm a much more social nine than a lot of people, or a lot of nines. So I don't, I'm, I, I like it, but everything in me says, no, don't hide, like go away, you know, don't, don't try, you know, no one's going to care. And I have to fight that every day. Mm-hmm. So if we had the nine kids, you're going to interpret the world as, as a one, the interpreted childhood messages, it's not okay to make mistakes. Would you say that's what you kind of thought as a kid and even growing up? It's funny because my parents um, wouldn't have said that, but because of like life circumstances and the state of our family, I I took that on as my message. Yes, exactly. If that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. totally. Yeah. So that's where people, that's why I would always say it's an interpreted mm-hmm. childhood message because it's either directly yeah. told you because there never t- are some families- mm-hmm. That could have said, "You it is not okay for you to make mistakes." Yeah, you know, my you have definitely to be perfect. Did not do that, exactly. but like because of whatever again circumstances, like yeah. I interpreted that I had to be the one not to make mistakes. Exactly. Yeah. I and my parents never said, "Don't assert yourself," like yeah. directly. Right. In fact, I would say if I look back, they were really trying to give me all the opportunities to find what I was talented at and try this and try that, but I. There is one incident that I can put my finger on and say, that's when the message rose up in me. Even though my mom never said it, 
I interpreted the situation as I shouldn't assert myself. I'll never do that again to protect myself from upsetting or maybe harming my relationship with my parents or whoever. Yeah. But she never intended that. Right. That is exactly how I interpret it. And that's why I say it's important for people to realize, yes, it feels like you became that type because of that situation. But I could tell you the situation I went through, all the types would have thought their message in that situation because um, like the one, if, if I was a type one, I would have thought, oh my gosh, I made a mistake. You know, I did something wrong. I shouldn't have done that. You know, the two would have thought I was just trying to be helpful and yeah. I can't, you know. It, so you can apply it, just, it to any type. You could apply it to any type. Yeah. Okay. And again, so depending on how healthy, average or unhealthy the family is in helping that child through that circumstance, that lens is going to really shape that kid, whether in a more healthy, unhealthy or, or healthy to unhealthy perspective. Okay, cool. That's really good to know. Um, yeah. Okay, so our life group, we read this book, uh, Becoming Us, Using the Enneagram mm -hmm. to Create a Thriving Gospel-Centered Marriage. Uh, why did you and Jeff write this book? Why are you passionate about the Enneagram in marriage? How does reading this book mm -hmm. help your marriage thrive? Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it literally is us becoming us, right? Yeah. Um, and we just, we want to be real and honest. Like we have a really great marriage, but it has its struggles like every marriage does. Some marriages have a little bit less, some have a little bit more, but they're all going to struggle because we're on this side of heaven. And I think sometimes people aren't honest about it. And I'll be I'll be honest that as a nine, I don't want to really be honest about it. My husband has taught me a lot about being authentic and real and vulnerable. Um, I sometimes don't want to be because it's like, I just want to go along to get along. I want everyone happy. But I ultimately want people to experience the freedom and the grace that we have experienced through Christ. And the only way we can do that is through real honesty and authenticity and vulnerability. Um, to say we are centers. And when you put two centers together, it's hard. You put two different personalities or whether you're healthy, average or unhealthy, all of these things really um, change the dynamics between two Enneagram types. And the book though, it's about marriage. It's really for any relationship. It yeah. could be friends, your parent and your kid, coworkers, et cetera. Um, but we had to pick, you know, do we want to, what, what lane do we want to go in? And we've done so much marriage um, coaching. My husband's a pastor, pastoral counseling, that we knew that this was a niche that we're the most comfortable in. And so that's one reason why we wrote it. But we wanted people to have hope. Yes, you're a sinner. Yes, your marriage is going to struggle. But that's not where the story ends. There's so much hope. There's so much growth that you guys can have together and individually to not only have a close relationship with God, but to truly bless others and to experience it within the two of you. Okay. Um, it was fun for our group. It was fun for my husband and I to read it, but then like, it's five couples, good friends of ours to all like go through yeah. this together openly because there's things where like, ah, oh, we, you know, it, I don't know. It's just entertaining and educational all at the same time to go through it as a group together. Um, mm -hmm. So thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I love hearing that. Yeah. Uh, kind of a random question. Um, something we, again, in our group have been talking a lot about lately is spiritual gifts. I'm curious mm. if you... Um, I don't know, know or have an opinion after like working with a lot of people. Do you feel like the Enneagram has anything to do with specific spiritual gifts? Or is there like a, you can line up, say, oh, a lot of times twos have this type of mm -hmm. spiritual gift or yeah, give me your definitely. insight on I think that. There's, 
Yeah. I mean, I think there's definitely correlation, Mm -hmm. but it's not a one for one. Right. Um, You know, like I would say as a nine, a lot of nines have the gift of um, encouragement. Um, Like we can really encourage people. We're very receptive, nonjudgmental. And so there's, and then we're great mediators, and this is all, of course, when we're healthy. So everything hinges on if you're yeah. healthy, average, or unhealthy, aligned, misaligned, or out of alignment. Everything hinges on those. Um, but then for you as a one, being a teacher, a guide, having great insights, precision, accuracy. I mean, not that these are all necessarily spiritual gifts, but um, but those are, you know, there's definitely characteristics mm-hmm. that are tried and true for the types. Um, but that doesn't mean that, um, you can't have the gift of encouragement as well. And, and this all goes down to also how the Enneagram works. So it's not just you're your type and that's it. There's, if people see the symbol, it looks like a nine pointed star. You're connected to two other types and those two other types highly influence your main type. And we won't get into it here, but you also have two types next to you. Either called your wings. Those influence you. You don't become these types. Remember, you have your current location, mm-hmm. your main type with its core motivations. That's like solid. But other types on the Enneagram highly influence your main type, which is why some people get confused. Like, am I this or am I that? Mm-hmm. I have a little bit of all of this. And so there's many layers. Um, but it makes it also exciting too, that it's not, you're not just a one size fits all like, Oh, I'm a nine. And it's just this, there's a lot of flexibility and excitement that goes in with it. But yes, I would say that there it's kind of like Myers-Briggs or the five love languages. There's a lot of correlation and yeah. like, Oh, type nines probably fit into this, this category most of the time in this category less often in this category more rare, but it's not a one for one. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I was just curious if you had any insight on that. Um, yeah, yeah. Beth, the the point of my show, We Are Free, it's just talking about surrendering um, just everything in our lives to um, to the Lord and having Him fill us back up in your studying of the Enneagram, in your coaching of the Enneagram, all of these things that you have done over the years. What do you feel like God has set you free from? Oh, man. I would say... He, the the biggest thing that I have learned and I go back to time and time again is being the, the mindset that I'm an orphan. Um, there's a book by Rosemary Miller called From Fear to Freedom. And just the mindset that I am his beloved child. I am no longer an orphan alone in life trying to figure this out on my own. That he has left heaven, come done everything that's needed to be done to bring me back into relationship with him. I have been adopted. I had been set free and nothing on my own merit, nothing I have done solely on his love and desire for me to be with him. And when I fully rest in that, that is when I am set free to live out my true calling, my true sense of personhood, how he has designed me. Um, and that's probably what I would say the most. I like that. Um, you have you guys have a lot of information and knowledge available to people. We've got we've got Instagram. We've got your podcast now. You have a book. If people listening would like, um, can you actually tell me a little bit about the personal coaching or courses that you have? If somebody's like, okay, yeah. I'm into this, but I could really use a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we've got a lot of like like you 
read the book, Becoming Us, we have also nine gift book journals called the Enneagram Collection. And so if you just go to Amazon, Books a Million, all those places, uh, just type in Beth McCord Enneagram and you'll see there are nine different journals and they're 21 day gift book journals that walk, basically break down your personality into 21 days. Oh, cool. Has journal prompts and everything like that. And they're each day is the same for all nine types as in like the general content. And then it gets really specific for that type. So you can do it with your spouse, your best friend, your small group. It's really kind of fun. Um, and then kind of share with each other what you learned. And those are all kind of like, that's kind of an appetizer. Okay. But if you want to go deeper, my course called Exploring You is me coaching you through an online course, pre-recorded videos, but it's the exact same thing I would say to my private clients. Mm -hmm. And then there are guide sheets for five sessions that I walk you through. So you have this tangible sheet that you can go through and look at and come back to time and time again. And then my videos will give deeper insights. Um, but it's all geared towards like what you're saying is helping people to be free. Yeah. And be free from the constraints, but be free to be you. How God created you. Like it's special. It's unique. It's, it's, it, there's no mistakes there. Um, and so I speak specifically and it's kind of like one of those things where people love it, but it's also super creepy because they're going to be like, how does she know me so well? You know, <laughs> like I, she read my internal diary, Yeah, but it's super helpful. Cause then you realize, Oh wait, I'm not the only one that's struggling with this, or I'm not the only one. Like there's others out there that have this and there's hope. Um, and then we have a, actually courses for all 45 couple types. Wow. So like you and your husband, there's a one and That's a seven. That's amazing. <laughs> yes. And there are eight modules to it. We really focus on literally your two, di your dynamics together. Okay. Um, and we call it the dance and we show you exactly how your core motivations get activated and triggered and how you then outwardly respond to it in some kind of behavior he sees that behavior, not so much of what's going on, on the inside. He, it lands on him then on his core motivations. And then he reacts his behaviors, outward behaviors. Then you see those. And all of a sudden it's like you get activated again around and around this dance goes. And so we specifically highlight the dynamics between two Enneagram types and where you guys can be misaligned, but how to have alignment and how the gospel sets you free. So it's very specific. That is what couples are going to want. It's called Becoming Us, and they can get that at becomingus.com and at your Enneagram coach. Um, and so becomingus.com is kind of where the book is, our live events, the course. Um, there's actually a free assessment there that kind of highlights the differences between the two of you. Um, and it's kind of getting an appetizer to that course. So that's another fun free thing. Okay, cool. And then lastly, if you could tell us, uh, share a little bit about some of the stuff you guys have coming up on your new podcast. Any different topics? What are you guys yes. excited to be chatting about? Yes, okay, so... The next one, which is coming out this Tuesday, um, is on how all the types are reacting to COVID-19, but also some helpful insights and tips with relating to the other types and yourself. Um, and so that's going to be really helpful. It's not just, this is what they do, period. You know, it's like the next step. Okay. Um, then we're going to dive into parenting. We have a two-parter. Um, Jeff and I really, because we started parenting with the Enneagram when they were really little, we don't type our kids until they're older, but we kind of walk through all of that. But it's really focused on how we parent through our own personality style okay, and how that totally affects how we parent, how we see the world, how we see our kids, what our expectations are, et cetera. Um, 
And then this, the second part is we're literally walking through all nine types and how they parent and insights and helpful tools. Um, then we're going to actually tomorrow, we're going to interview a couple um, who has written a book on love and marriage, or I mean, love and money. Um, and it's not like, you know, like a Dave Ramsey, which those are great um, on how to do debt free stuff. It's mm-hmm. they do more research and data on how it affects marriage, then we're going to bring insights onto the, all the nine types with that. Okay. So that people, cause this is going to be a really hard season. Like all of us in some capacity are struggling, whether you are struggling financially or not, the economics of everything mm-hmm. is going to be kind of turned upside down for a while. And it's going to affect everyone to some level. And so we really want to have that honest conversation and helpful tools with that. So those are going to be then coming down the pipeline <laughs> are going to be, we're probably going to interview our kids. Yes. So they're, I love that. they're 20 and almost 22. What are their and, types? Uh, six and two. Okay. And just like, what is, what was it like growing up with your Enneagram coach yeah. <laughs> and a pastor dad? Um, like the highlights, the the drawbacks, the things to be aware of and using the Enneagram as parents and just that real honest conversation. And then just kind of hear from them as young 20 year olds and what, what it's like. Yeah. Um, and then our real hope in the future is to start interviewing couples and individuals so people get a real sense of the Enneagram from other people than just us. Yeah, that's so cool. I'm excited to hear yeah. uh, from your kids. I interviewed my daughter the other uh, few weeks ago, but she's three, so it's a little bit different. <laughs> <laughs> so cute. Uh, I love that. She didn't give us too much insight on worldviews, but yeah. uh, it was oh, fun. That's so cute. Yeah, thank you, Beth, so much just for taking yeah. the time. Um, I know people are excited to hear about all this and I'm excited for you guys and your podcast and just everything you have going on. But thank you for just being a light. I love, I love the Enneagram, but I love even more that it's the Enneagram and Jesus together um, because at the end of the day, that's what, that's what's going to heal you and yeah, set you free. So thank you for your time and just sharing all of this with us. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Again, don't forget to check out the show notes where we have all of the info and links and resources we talked about in the show. You can go to beckymorquecho.com, B-E-C-K-Y-M-O-R-Q-U-E-C-H-O.com. Thanks for listening in. 